Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, we appreciate you joining us for our latest alumni podcast. Uh, these have been a lot of fun catching up with uh, so many good guys who were part of such a great team in 2008. And certainly this guy, I think, is at the top of the list in terms of good guys. And I think anybody who played with him uh, and who was around him over the course of his big league career would say that. Uh, he was one of the winningest pitchers on the 2018. I'm talking about Edwin Jackson. Edwin, good to see you. Good to speak with you. How are you? Come on, Neil. I appreciate that introduction, man. This is very nice. And, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm as good as I can be at times, given situations and circumstances. Certainly, the, the introduction is well-deserved. How are you and how is your family? How have they been dealing with all, of, all that's been going on around the world right now? We're good this is what he thinks. Uh, obviously, it's a tough time for the kids, man, uh, trying to get a grasp on everything that's going on. Uh, I feel like us as adults, you know, we can, we can handle situations like this. Uh, even if it's tough for us, we, you know, mentally, we can deal with it. Uh, I feel like for the kids, it's kind of tough. Um, you know, they haven't been very social with a lot of friends, which they are used to. Um, you know, we've been in the house a lot, which they aren't used to. They're used to traveling. Especially being right now baseball, so they used to being with me, um, you know, wherever city I am, and coming around the games and going out seeing people. So with the social distancing, you know, it's been a bit of a transition for them, to say the least. No doubt. Now, mine are twelve and thirteen. Yours are your three are how old now? And and who's it most difficult for? Um, eight, six, and two and a half. I would say. Right now, it's probably more difficult for the eight and the six-year-old. Uh, my son and my daughter, um, you know, they're, they're the ones used to being at school. All of them are used to being at school, actually, because they go. But for them, they're at that point where, um, you know, they're super social with their friends. My youngest guy, he, he goes to school, but he's two. You know, for them, six and eight, they're just now learning everything. Um, the social skills are, you know, starting to peak. Um, you know, they're transitioning from first grade to second grade to third grade. Um, I think these are vital times for them, you know, socially. It's kind of tough for them, but we try to find ways to keep them active and keep them occupied as much as we can. Do they ask you a lot of questions? And what kind of questions do they ask? When is, when is coronavirus leaving? Is there a shot for <laughs> coronavirus so they can leave and they can go play with their friends? <laughs> That's probably the biggest question right now. Um, we went to a protest actually, so they got a chance to experience that, which was uh, it was a good time. It was powerful, and I feel like it was super impactful for them. Um, so they had some questions surrounding that, as far as what are the signs mean, why are people writing these signs, why are people uh, chanting the things they're chanting. So uh, we've been having some history lessons in here as well, which has been um, I mean, we have ample amount of time to teach whatever, even though we aren't the teachers, but. So we have a lot of time to kind of score them and, and keep them informed on what's going on and why people are doing the things they're doing. 
I was going to ask you about, you know, what kind of homeschool teacher you, you have been, but I think probably more important is what you're teaching uh, regarding systemic racism and what's going on in, in our world. How do you explain it to a six and an eight year old? Man, it's tough. It's tough. Um, especially being kids, they, they have a luxury of living a life that's not necessarily reality. The life we live as a professional athlete is far from the life that their cousins and their friends may live. Um, so it's a big difference, you know. So we're trying to explain to them why people are screaming, hands up, don't shoot. Um, and you, you try to sugarcoat it as much as you can, but you almost mm-hmm. can't. It's almost you just have to kind of be direct and blunt and to the point, <laughs> you know, because sugarcoating it, it, it doesn't help. You know, it covers up and it kind of defeats the purpose. So you try to explain to them the best way you can. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're a different color, people are going to judge you differently. Um, you have to act differently, um, which is not fair. And they're saying, you know, because they, they go to a school um, out here is pretty diverse for Arizona. So they're seeing different ethnicities, different races, um, different colors. Um, they really don't have to deal with it yet, but just trying to teach them about the real world and things that may, situations they may be in and, and things that may arise during these situations and how to act and how to control themselves to, to make sure they aren't looked at and they aren't feared. It, it's tough, man. It's tough for little kids like that because they are curious and they're super, um, super passionate about life and they, and they want to learn and want to ask these questions but i'm not sure they 100 percent grasp it all yet which would be hard for an eight and six year old group no doubt and i could you know as um as a white man in america i could never fully grasp truly what you're dealing with on a regular basis when did you get you know i i always talk with friends about the talk they got that that white people don't understand because of um, you know, the way our, our world is. When did you get the talk from your, your family? You know what? Um, I had the luxury of being a military brat, so life for me growing up was a melting pot. Um, so I didn't really have to deal with a lot of racism um, until I came back from Germany, which was 91. I was nine years old already. Um, my parents being from Montgomery, Alabama, or outskirts of Montgomery, one from the temple, one from Newburgh. Um, being in the Deep South, it was an issue. You know, it's an issue. So going back to Alabama really opened my eyes to some of the things that, that happened in this world. And it was like, man, it, it, was, it was shocking. You know, like, man, people get treated like this because of the color. Like, what if, like, what does that mean they're bad or good? So I think for me, I talk in a little older age. I mean, I wasn't living a life these kids are living either. <laughs> Different lifestyles for sure. So for me, I don't think 19, around 9 or 10, you know, was my opening experience. Life was coming back from Germany and coming to the real world and not the world of the mental problems. And we're going to touch a lot about your, obviously, your race success. But, you know, it's, you've hit on some really important stuff that's going on in our world right now. I'm kind of curious, um, from your standpoint, are you still uh, playing? I know you were in camp with Arizona this year where you're living. What's, what's your story? Right now I'm a free agent. But, uh, right. still yeah, I was in camp with, uh, I was in camp with the Diamondbacks. And I got released during the quarantine. So I went to spring training, but uh, I'm a free agent right now. 
would you play this year if you were given the chance or based on COVID and everything else that's going on? What's your, what's your thought on that? It's a good question, man, because I have been playing. I've still been drawn. I've still been working out as much as I can. Um, just recently had a conversation today with my wife, um, and she she's kind of 50-50. She's like, hmm. She's kind of on the edge about it. Like, I'm not sure if you should play. Like, I don't know if it's healthy. I'm not sure if it's safe. So um, we're kind of having that conversation as we speak, but I still been drawing. I still been drawing bullpens. I'm still in shape. Like I'm still physically capable and, and ready to go. Um, but it's just a conversation we have with, with myself, with my wife and myself. Well, I mean, it's obvious you love the game. You don't survive in this game as long as you have at the big league level without a love for it, right? Right, right. Right. Um, And you were – your first full season was actually with the Tampa Bay Rays. You've been with so many different teams, but the Rays were the first full season you played. What do you remember when you were first dealt to Tampa Bay from the Dodgers? Um, I looked at it as another opportunity. I looked at it as, you know, a time for me to really grow as a baseball player, as a pitcher. Um, you know, I looked at it as, as a place to, uh, obviously I understood um, going from L.A. to Tampa Bay is going to be night and day difference team-wise. Um, coming from the super veteran team in L.A., going to a younger team in Tampa. And I was ready to use that time. Um, to go out there and, and take tough lessons and learn about myself and learn really, what I'm really made of. So um, I, was, I was excited about it. Um, obviously, it was a trade. A military grad, I'm used to move, picking up and moving. So that aspect of it wasn't really crazy for me. Um, I wasn't, I want to say I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. Um, I just looked at it as a new opportunity to um, make an imprint in a different organization. That's a mature way to look at it. And there are a lot of people who at 22 years of age would have had a lot of difficulty handling that. Your military, the fact that you came from a military family probably prepared you well for baseball overall. Oh, predestined. Yeah, predestined. Life on the go. Learn how to pack a bag quickly and move. What you went through the 2007 season was your first full one. You were with the race for part of 2006. Did you think that 2008 was possible when you finished the 2007 season? I mean, I don't think any of us thought that. Um, I mean, we knew the team we had. We knew the division we were in. And at that time, they at least Yankees in Boston stacked. Like, they were stacked. Absolutely stacked on paper. Probably some of the best teams in baseball. But um, one thing I did know we had in Tampa was – we had confidence. We weren't afraid. For a young group of guys that we were, we weren't afraid of much. Um, it wasn't too much you can throw at us that we would run from. And that's what helped us in that 2008 season. We knew that we weren't backing down. If you beat us, you were going to have to beat us. We had a clubhouse full of dudes that thought the same way. And even if you didn't think that way, by the time you left, you were thinking that way. Um, I mean, you can ask Troy Percival, Cliff Floyd, those were dudes that were older coming in. And we even, I feel like we even changed their mindset. You know, to kind of get on our wavelength because the young team we had, we didn't care. 
we didn't care about much. We weren't afraid. We weren't running in any challenges being thrown at us. And I think that helped us. Um, that helped us prepare in 2008. When did you think that that team was good? Like, was there a point where you're like, all right, this has got a chance to be something special? I feel like it happened in spring training when we got when we cleared benches with New York. When Shelly slid into second, when we cleared benches in New York, that kind of set the tone for the whole season because we let team know we want to back and down. And I feel like that was a, that, that brought us together as a whole, as a team. And uh, obviously, we, we got in a brawl with Boston that year, too. So, coincidentally, we brawl with two of the rivals that we're facing and, and let it be known that we won't back down. And uh, that the times that we would, you would hear different chants coming from different people, uh, whether it be Crawford, EJ, whether it be um, Johnny, keeping pitches up. Like, hey, we down, hey, hold them there, hold them there, we're going to come back. Just the small things like that. When you look back and you like, Man, you cherish those things because you don't get it on a lot of teams. A lot of teams don't come through and talk with pitchers if you're a position player. Hmm. That team, we had we had all of that going. Everyone talking to everybody. So the communication was was at an all time high. You're talking about a team the highest paid person making ten million, which is profit, making ten million, the highest paid person. And we took the field with that arrogance, like we're going to win. Not even arrogance, but confidence. That confidence and chest up. We knew we can play with these teams. You brought up the two fights. Um, I've talked with a lot of different guys, and they all have pretty cool backstories about what they remember about either where they were or, or, or just a recollection of something. Do you have a good story for New York or Boston or both? Yeah, New York, the spring training one. I know both of them. I was right in the middle. Um, the New York. Kind of, I kind of vaguely remember um, Boston for sure. I remember um, I was on the bench, top step, cheering as normal. And, uh, I was talking to the security guard, and he looked up. And next thing you know, I ran. And actually, I ran out of my shoe because I didn't have my shoes tied out of the time. <laughs> I ran out of my left shoe, uh, going to the going to the mound, and you know we had two piles on the mound at the time. We had two. We had shields, we had cocoa, and then we had shields. Like those were two different, two different piles on the mound. And I just remember how quick everyone got there. And I'm like, man, all right, this is a good brawl. It's not just a lot of pressure going on. At least from our end, it was uh, it was a lot of action in that, in that brawl. We had a lot of suspensions. There were. Do you um, remember uh, as a as a pitcher? I'm sure there weren't many you had to deal with. But were you protecting that right arm, or or because you stayed healthy almost your whole stayed healthy almost your whole career, which is amazing. Did, were you watching yourself in terms, or or was it hard to let deal with the emotions? We were. We were. Uh, there was a lot of emotions behind that from everyone. Um, we no one was worried about themselves at, at that time. We were sticking up for each other. That was a brother. That was a brotherhood about that was super big in our clubhouse. Uh, Accountability was, was super big, and, and sticking up for our team was super big. Um, those those are two qualities and two things that we prided ourselves in um, being accountable. Um, 
we argue with each other, we argue with other teams, but at the end of the day, we play. You know, you have to be super accountable in that clubhouse. So, uh, someone will let it be known that that wasn't cool that you did. So we did have people that wanted for it to speak up. And if you got sensitive about something and it was a legit call out, then you got, you got, somebody got on you for being sensitive because you got caught out in a legit circumstance. So you had to be accountable in all facets and all ways. And that was one thing that was special about that team and the accountability that we held for each other and for ourselves. Johnny Gomes had told me, and I know he's in Arizona now is uh, working as a minor league coach. You know, he told me that he felt that that was the one where he knew everybody was together because he said when the Yankee ball happened, there were, it wasn't like 24 guys were out there to fight. They were almost like, all right, let's pull back. When he said when, when the Boston incident happened, everybody was out there all for one. For sure. For sure. Um, we knew. We knew what was happening. It was – Nothing, it wasn't, it wasn't anything about ego. That wasn't about ego. It wasn't about, you know, we were so tough. That was just about us sticking up for each other as a team. That's solely what that was about. Um, obviously, we felt there was a player that wasn't right. Um, we felt there was just a player that was from a different country. Um, not really going to speak up for himself. So it was up to us to let him know we have your back. This is a brotherhood that we have here. And like I said, those two incidents, it definitely brought us closer together um, as a team. And we fueled off that. We thrived off that and helped us play that. You had a very good season that year. Um, I looked it up. I think there were like a dozen starts where you gave up two runs or fewer. You had several outings where you didn't allow a run. Are there any gains from that year that personally stick out for you? And what do you remember? Man. <laughs> oh, man, I would say the probably the game that personally stuck out for me was um, the first game that I got in after not being on the first round playoffs. Um, hmm. I came in in Boston, even though it was, the game was over. Um, to finish the game the way I did in that manner kind of was like me speaking up for myself without acting a fool not being on the first round playoffs, without causing a scene, still trying to be a team player, without causing any distraction. Um, I want to say maybe 97 or 99, to sliders like 91, 92. Just, it was a lot. I feel like it was a lot of uh, emotions when I was pitching in that game. Not only just because it was Boston, but because I felt like I had something to prove. Um, that I deserve to be on, on the roster. Did, were there any regular season starts that stood out? Oh. Not at the moment. <laughs> not, at the, not at the moment. Um, no, I had some, had some, some dope starts. I will have to go back and look at some videos, but not one that just really Stick out. I want to say maybe I had a complete game against the Angels that season. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, for me, and somebody just speak out of the game and stick out, that's probably the one that I was really emotionally fueled by. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that a guy who has always been such a great guy and great teammate 
you remember an area or a game that almost was turning a negative into a positive, which is, I mean, how you've kind of been in your career that you've handled so much adversity so well. Yeah, that's the one. When I hear about 2008, that's the game that just stick out to me. Because I was, I was just so, it was just so much behind that. It was so much behind that. And normally, I was pretty even kill. And I feel like that game, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of emotions behind that. Within that, within that period. What do you remember when Aki stepped on second? Where were you and, and what did it mean to you at the time? Because that's the first year you were in the playoffs and you end up going to the World Series. Man, that was, that was dope. Like, that was, that was, that, that moment right there was like, man, here we go. Like, here we go. Like, we're here, you know? We're here. We're about to go. We're about to get this thing. I know we can do it. It's something special. That it is something special. You know, when I talked with Johnny, he said it was it would have been great to win the World Series, but he doesn't know if he would have won multiple World Series after that if he had won in 08. And you ended up winning a World Series in 2011 when you were with St. Louis. Did losing in a World Series motivate you further for the rest of your career, or or did it help at all in that way? I feel like. Um, it keeps that taste in your mouth for you wanting to win, for sure. Um, when you lose, when you lose like that, um, in the fashion you did, um, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. Um, that, that's one of those feelings that you like, man. We got here, but we weren't just satisfied getting it. We really wanted to win, and that taste it stays in your mouth. You know, it keeps you hungry. It keeps you hungry to, to really want to win a World Series once you've experienced that. Uh, I was very fortunate to have had that experience and know what it feels like to, to play in the World Series and be in the fire. And that's one of those ones that stay with you. And, you know, it makes you even want like you said, it makes you want to close it out even more than when you're in the same position. If you have an opportunity to be in that position again. No doubt. In, in, you had one other great moment at Tropicana Field. He came as a visitor when you were actually with Arizona and pitched one of the odd or no hitters in the game. And I welcome our, our listeners and viewers to read Adam Berry's recount of that event, which it's hard to believe it's now 10 years old. What do you remember most about that whole day and that whole experience? Yeah. Trying to figure out how to get out of the first thing. <laughs> One went up in the bullpen. I mean, we had a day off the day before, and pitchers know some people come in and throw on a day off, some don't. You just never know how your body is going to feel once you take a day off. Um, I didn't have an arm slot, so I come out of the, from warming up and be like, all right, this is going to be a day. This, this is about to be one of those days where I have no clue what's going to happen. I don't know where anything is going, uh, and I felt it from warming up. As soon as you start warming up, you're like, all right, boy, strap it up. Could be a short day. And I just remember telling myself, find a way. Just find a way. Find a way. Thank God I had a slider that I could throw at any time, you know, for a strike until I found my fastball command. It's a great defensive place behind me, but I think it was just more special to do it at Tropic County, because I feel like it's a place that I'm still embraced when I come back. To Tropicana. I still I still feel like I'm at home when I'm in even as a uh, even as an opposing player 
it's one of those places where it's still a homely feeling you come back to support it's still it's still um, loving and it's still welcoming like you know welcome back EJ and that's the most um, it's the most special thing aside from the no hitter is being able to do it in front of those fans and top of where I was able to you know be a part of the team to take go to the World Series um, and, and start a trend there. What people don't realize too is not only did you throw near 150 pitches in that game, but you won a one nothing game too in a no hitter. That's got to be one of the more nerve wracking things. Did that allow you to concentrate less on the no hitter and more on, hey, I'm trying to win a game? Eight walks allow me to concentrate less on the no hitters. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it to, up. <laughs> to be honest, uh, eight walks, um, talking to people the whole game. Super unorthodox no-hitter. It's not to the point where no one talks to the pitcher. You know, I'm talking the whole game. Literally the whole game. I'm talking to Duntrell. I'm talking to Miggy. I'm talking to anybody that wants to listen. Like, Duntrell, I'm like, Duntrell, I ain't got it today. He's like, man, listen, you just keep throwing that slider. You keep doing that. And you know, uh, that's, that's the funny thing. That's why I'm so not superstitious. You know, I, I'm a big believer. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If not, then it's not. I don't want to do anything differently to make it seem weird, like to put more pressure on the fact that I'm throwing a no-hitter. George Henry didn't know I had a no-hitter. A few umpires didn't know I had a no-hitter. I'm sure it's probably thousands of people in the stands that didn't know I had a no-hitter. Uh, I didn't even know I had a no-hitter until like the second You know, so I think everything else kind of overshadowed that I had a no-hitter. And by the time I looked up, I'm like, I heard AJ like we had a problem. Like, uh, you had hundred and some pitches. I'm like, AJ, I'm not coming out. So I give up a hit or home run, whichever one comes first. Um, I'm, I'm staying in this game. I, it was crazy for me to what, read out of Barry's story and your pitching coach, Stottlemyre, had actually, you know, ad, admitted after the fact he was almost rooting for you to give up a hit because he did not want to see you get hurt, which shows how much he valued you as a, as a person over, you know, an accomplishment. I wasn't worried about it. I was, honestly, I didn't even know how many pitches I had. I had no clue. I, I had no clue in my pitch count. I had zero clue. I mean, I just come from Detroit where we averaged 115 a game. So I just come from Jim Leland where we didn't get accustomed to pitching to, to a pitch count. We pitched to the game, and I had that mindset. So, you know, probably a big thanks to Jim Leland for you know, um, instilling that in, in us as pitchers of Detroit about pitch count. We, we would come out and we'd pitch the games. But he did tell me, had he been my manager, I wouldn't have thrown a no hitter because he would have pulled me out of the game. Uh, but it, it wasn't meant for me to be with him. It was meant for me to be with the manager that was a freshman year manager. And I had some time, obviously. Uh, the situation synced up perfect for what, what I was going through. That was Arizona was again one of 14 teams that you've played for in Major League Baseball, which again to me shows the amount you love the game and you hear so many good things from your teammates about playing with you. What has been the greatest challenge for you in playing for so many different teams and being in so many different places? Um, I'd say the greatest challenge is. Just learning the game plan of everyone. And 
every team has different dynamics. So just learning different dynamics of each team, learning how to communicate with different people, learning how to get through to different people. So it's almost like you play Big Brother. Okay, how can I talk to this person without him feeling like I'm coming at him a certain kind of way? How can I talk to this person without feeling like I'm coming at him a certain kind of way? I mean, Tampa, he came from a team where position players would tell pitchers things, pitchers would tell position player things. We all listen to each other. I mean, at the end of the day, a position player studies a pitcher. Pitchers study position players. So why can't we give each other information? Why can't I go tell a position player, like, hey, you're doing this while you're hitting? You know, why can't a position player come tell me, hey, you're leaking off or you're doing this when you're pitching? We study each other. I feel like the biggest thing in baseball is everyone feel like only the positions should tell the positions about things that they're doing when realistically we each know more about each other than we know about ourselves because that's who we study. Mm-hmm. You know, position players study us. They study the things that we're doing. We study, we study batters. We see how pitchers are pitching batters. So we should be able to give each other information to help us out without someone getting um, upset with a pitcher is coming to tell me how to hit or a position player is coming to tell me how to pitch when it really makes sense. Like, we study each other. <laughs> no question. You mentioned your time with Tampa Bay and how that was different in 2008. Was your time with the Rays among the teams you played with your most fun in baseball? And if not, where was? It was. It was. Um, that was the time where we That's the time where I grew. Um, we take a team losing 100 games and we take it to the World Series. Um, we take a team not full of superstars and we go to the World Series. It was like a college baseball team. It was a collegiate baseball, a collegiate MLB team. That's what it correlated to. And being that I hadn't gone to college, I was coming from a team where I was the youngest player to go into a team where I'm around a team full of people my age. It's night and day, night and day. And I've been on a lot of fun teams. I've been, I've been fortunate to have a lot of fun on a lot of teams. So I don't discredit any teams about having fun. But I just feel like in Tampa was a time where we, we, we really learned and we really grew as a, as a person and as a player with each other. I hope there's as many years as you want left in your major league career as, as you hope for. Um, but obviously you're closer to the end than the beginning. How would you improve the game right now? How would you, I mean, in terms of some of the things that you've seen, how would you better the game um, if you had the chance to do it? On a personal standpoint or the game itself? I think the game itself, because, I mean, like we talked about, um, you know, the challenging things that you're having discussions with your family. And I look at a game where when I grew up, there was certainly a bigger number of, Black Americans playing the game, they're not. I'd love to see it get back to where it was, if not greater. Um, and how do you how do you fix it? That, that would be the biggest change for me because I would say the game itself has evolved and it's going to evolve again. It always has, it always will. So changing actual gameplay is tough to do that because it's, it's, it's a rotating world. But uh, I remember coming up, that Tampa team actually is the team that I've played with the most among blacks. Mm-hmm. That Tampa team. Uh, and you felt like 
equal. You feel like how, how other people feel when they come to the field and they can see four or five people of the same color, of the same ethnicity. And um, it, it's lost. It's, it's times now where you may walk in and you may be the only person. You know, uh, obviously we're not to deal with it just because we can, but it's like, man, if you see a group over here, if you see a group of Latin, of Dominicans, you see a group of Venezuelans, you see a group of Mexicans, and then you have a group of whites, and then you look me like, okay, it's just me. Like, damn, okay, like, who, who do I who do I have a group with? And it's just you. Obviously, you have friends that you make friends with, but it's just different when you look around the room and you are the only one. You know, you have to feel, okay, this is how a person feels that comes from Japan, like, and from Korea, when they look around and they're the only one, uh, you get a sense of, like, you're not necessarily an outcast because you are a team, but there are times where you're like, man, you feel like an outcast because you, you are the only one. How, can you, how would you try and improve it, fix it, get it to where we hope it, it was, at least? Hmm. We just have to, I mean, it starts with the youth. Everything in this game starts with the youth. Um, we just have to find find ways to bring the game back into urban communities. Um, however it may be, we have to find ways to um, market market black players in the game of baseball. Um, we don't see a lot of black players on TV and commercials and everything. And as a young kid, we all wanted to be Michael Jordan because we saw Michael Jordan. We saw everything Michael Jordan did. We saw the commercials. We saw the data rate commercials. We saw the Space Jam. With the time being like now, how much social media is used, if you don't see a lot, then you don't have anything to emulate. Um, you can look, you see basketball, you see football, you see a majority of blacks. In the game where we are the minority, we have to, um, we have to find a way to paint the picture, to paint a vivid picture of black players playing baseball. And not, on, not only the picture, we have to find ways to go back into the community and, you know, um, use the game of baseball. We have to, we have to find ways to, to bring it into the communities. Very well said. And I'm not surprised you gave that, that good an answer from all the time I spent with you when you were in Durham and Tampa Bay. EJ, it's yeah. been a lot of fun. I know you're going to teach your kids well, too. Um, and I hope there's more baseball for you in the big leagues in the future, whether it's this year, whether it's next year whatever you choose to do. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was always a pleasure. It's Edwin Jackson. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. I hope you will stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll chat with you soon.